What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. time I'm recording this, in the last six days, 18 people have lost their lives at the hands of gun violence in this country. Six days, and there have been two mass shootings in this country. I genuinely thought it would take me longer before I had to come on this podcast and talk about gun violence and gun reform and speak on yet another completely preventable mass shooting that has happened in our country. But I was wrong. Because like clockwork, you could almost see it coming. Because as soon as vaccines are going into arms, and in turn, as soon as our country is beginning to open up again, and as citizens we are starting to flock to and frequent at spots that used to be hubs for human activity before the pandemic hit, we are now starting to see mass shootings occur once again. Like I said, it's it's like clockwork. You could almost see it coming. You could predict it. But now that it's actually here... And now that it's actually happening and people are dying once again at the hands of gun violence and I have to see, you know, trending tags on Twitter and I have to see news articles reporting on how many people have died, on who's died, on names being circulated on social media. Now that it's actually happening again, it's like no amount of preparation, no amount of preparedness could have readied me for this again. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and I actually said it because I saw a tweet and it reminded me of it. And I said, isn't it so weird how we haven't had a school shooting in the last year because kids haven't been in school? And if kids have been in school, it's been at limited numbers. We haven't had mass shootings because people haven't been out in public as much because if someone were to commit a crime such as this, it wouldn't have had the lasting effects that most mass shootings do because not as many people would be impacted because, again, not as many people were in these public spaces and inhabiting these public facilities. And yet now, as our country is finally beginning to see the light, as our country is finally beginning to somewhat turn the corner of this pandemic and we're starting to finally feel more safer coming out of our homes, finally feel more safer doing more non-essential things, we once again just fall into another ugly trap. We once again just fall into another nuance and another normal part of American life, that being mass shootings and gun violence. These two shootings are very, very different. I'm not going to act like they're similar, even though they're both gun violence, even though they're both mass shootings. They happen for very different reasons, and they were carried out in very different ways. So I am going to talk about both of the shootings separately. But I think the overarching point that I want to make before I delve into that and before I talk about that is the fact that gun violence is an inherently American problem. Gun violence is an inherently American phenomenon. We are the only country in the world, especially the only developed country in the world, where this regularly happens. And that is that is irrefutable. You cannot deny that, no matter what your opinions on gun reform are, no matter what you see guns as, no matter how you see these issues in terms of politics. You cannot deny that we are the only developed nation in this world where gun violence like this and mass shootings like this are regular occurrences. We are still in a global pandemic. We are still hitting milestones of new deaths and new cases every single day. And yet... Headlines of people getting mowed down at a supermarket or getting massacred at spas 
is somehow the news that is filling our news feeds. It's disgusting. And I'm going to talk more throughout this episode about my opinions on gun reform, about what I think should be put into place, about what system should be put into place when it comes to guns, because I don't hate guns. I have no issue with guns. I have an issue with how easy they are to get. And I have an issue with how many people are able to own, with what kind of guns people are able to own. I don't like guns. I'm not like a huge like gun person. As I've gotten older, especially in the last year, especially as I've seen, you know, the rise in Asian American hate, as I've seen a rise in racism against, you know, my own race and my own group, I have thought, you know, now that I'm an adult, maybe I should consider, you know, going to the range and maybe arming myself and having a gun at least in my home. Like, I'm I'm not scared of guns. I don't not like guns. I think that depending on who you are, I think a gun can be an essential part of safety, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a person of color. You have no idea who's going to try and target you. You have no idea who's going to try and make an effort on your life or your safety. And like I said, as a black woman in America, I think that I'm the perfect demographic of people who should be strapped at all times because people are crazy. But... When it comes to the types of guns that people have, like I said, and when it comes to the process and how easy it is for people, especially wackos, to get guns and to get their hands on firearms, especially semi-automatic rifles, military-grade assault weapons, ridiculous, unnecessary, completely unwarranted. And I don't understand how we can see that that's a system that's put in place, and yet we're surprised whenever stuff like this happens. The GOP, Republicans, the NRA are always all thoughts and prayers. Can't believe something like this happened again. Sending our love and support to the families who lost people in today's tragic events. Because that's always the exact statement that's made. And yet nothing is done to actually fix any of it. And in some cases, the NRA, the GOP, Republicans just go out of their way to make these things worse. So just overall, I just wanted to make those couple of quick points um, before getting into everything more in depth. But first, I want to talk about the shooting in Atlanta specifically. Eight people were killed, six of which being Asian American women. It was carried out in the Atlanta area at three separate spas, three separate salons, parlors, spas, whatever you want to call them. And I'm going to say it now, and I'm going to put my foot down and say it, like this is a hill that I'm willing to die on. This was a hate crime. This was undoubtedly driven out of the fact that the people who this man targeted were of Asian descent and were Asian people, were Asian women specifically. Language has consequences. And this is entirely attributed to the fact that for the last year of the pandemic, we had a former president who spoke in divisive and highly race-baiting language on top of the fact that we also have an amalgam of other elected officials who feel comfortable speaking in the same manner. Using language like the Kung Flu, the Chinese virus, the China virus, it, it probably seemed like a non-issue at the time. It probably seemed insignificant at the time. But now that we're a year into the pandemic and now that especially a lot of research has been done and a lot of studies have been conducted showing the increase of hate and bigotry and hate crimes targeted towards Asian Americans in this country, we now are able to see that that language had consequences even before the shooting happened. People were dying, people were being murdered in the streets before the shooting even happened. Elderly Asian Americans were being pushed on sidewalks, shoved in public, assaulted in broad daylight, and which resulted in death, 
which resulted in them hitting their heads on pavements or suffering internal damage that resulted in them dying. Before we even went into lockdown, I remember I saw a news article about a man in the city of Boston, which is just over an hour south of me. A man in the city of Boston on public transportation who died because people refused to give him CPR because nobody wanted to touch him or put his hands on him or help him. And there's a good to fair chance that he would still be alive today if people were able to put aside their prejudice and help this poor person who was dying, who was suffering, who was struggling in broad daylight, but nobody wanted to touch him because he was an Asian man. And we were struggling with the very beginning of this pandemic. And I want to make the point that, like I said, this was before we even went into lockdown. This was before we even knew how detrimental COVID was going to be to our lifestyle and how we functioned as a society. And people were still so full of hate. People were still so apprehensive to the point where they refused to save a man's life. And at that point, Trump had already been calling it the China virus. Trump had already been saying all of this derogatory and divisive language regarding the pandemic. He was already, he was already being a bigot about it. Like, I don't understand how people are still so willing and able to justify it or say that this language has had no impact on how Asian Americans in this country have functioned or have lived or have been able to navigate in the spaces that they exist in. I feel so comfortable calling this a hate crime. I feel so comfortable and confident saying that this was driven out of the fact that his victims were Asian, predominantly of Asian descent. Usually when stuff like this happens, I am very open and honest about the fact that we as individuals have to make more of an effort into not sharing the perpetrator's name and the perpetrator's information, but instead making more of an effort to share the victims, the names of the victims and the lives that the victims led before they were murdered. And I still wholeheartedly believe that. I still wholeheartedly think we need to put more effort into humanizing the people who died at the hands of this man's actions instead of humanizing the man himself, which is part of what has been going on and why people are so angry. I think that sharing the victims' names, sharing the victims' pictures and their stories and the lives that they led before they were killed and had their lives taken from them, I think it's such a critical part of what is being demanded of us when tragedies like this happen. However, in this episode, I will not be sharing the victims' names of the shooting in Atlanta for two reasons. One, I've already said it before, and I'll probably say it a dozen more times in this episode, this was a hate crime. This was very obviously driven out of the fact that his victims were Asian. And it's no secret that Asians have also been facing other hate and other hate crimes and other violence at the hands of the people in this country because of the pandemic and the climate that we're currently immersed in. I think that we are living through a very toxic and divisive political and social time right now. And personally, I feel as though the more we share the victims' names, the more we publicize this information about the victims, we are doing the families a huge disservice and that we are inadvertently putting the families in danger. We are putting the families in a position to be further targeted, further harassed, further assaulted, or even further violated. That will never be something that I'm okay doing. That will never be something that I advocate for doing. If there is even a doubt in my mind that the family could be hurt or the family could be impacted by me sharing the names of the victims, I'm not going to do it. And obviously, we have a very disgusting gun culture in this country. Every single time there's a shooting, the families of the victims get harassed and, you know, bullied on social media. But I think the current 
culture and the current political climate that we're in right now has made this a little bit different. And I think that the potential violence or harassment that the family could face at this time would go beyond cyberbullying or online harassment. And for that reason, like I said, I'm going to refrain from sharing the names of the victims today. And the second reason I have chosen to make this decision is because there have actually been a couple of the families of the victims who have come out and asked that the names not be publicized. I'm not sure who the families are or what reasons they have, but no matter their reasons, I'm going to respect that this is a very hard time for them and I'm going to respect their wishes for that reason alone. So again, just out of respect for the family and everything that they're dealing with right now on top of the fact that this could potentially put them at risk to be further harmed by outside agitators, I again am going to not be sharing the names of the victims in this episode and I hope that you also not only respect my choice but also respect the wishes of the family as well. Now I want to get a little bit more into the shooter's quote-unquote motive or what he claimed his motive was. And more importantly, I also want to speak on the comments made by the Cherokee County Sheriff's Department after the shooting, um, along with what was said, some of the comments that were made, and how inappropriate some of the comments were, how inappropriate some of the excuses were. So apparently the shooter said this was not driven out of hate, this was not driven out of the fact that the victims were Asian, this had nothing to do with the with their race, this had to do with his quote-unquote sex addiction. And I want to make a couple of key points here. One, this man has everything to gain by lying about his motives. Not only in the eyes of society, but also in the eyes of the law, hate crimes are seen as much, much worse than, you know, someone doing something not driven out of hate or someone doing something like this as it not being a hate crime. Hate crimes are usually seen as much more deplorable. Hate crimes are usually punished much more heavily under the law. So again, this man has everything to gain by lying about his motive. This man has everything to gain by saying that he did not commit a hate crime. And on top of that, hate crimes are incredibly difficult to prove because hate crimes are dependent on motive and not actions, which don't get me into that because that all by itself is ridiculous. But because of that, like I said, hate crimes are incredibly difficult to prove in the eyes of the law. So by him saying that this had nothing to do with hate, should this be looked into as a hate crime and should this be punished under the guise of, a, of the law as a hate crime, it would be that much more difficult for them to prove that it actually was because he came out and said right after the shooting that it wasn't that. So again, I just want to make that point that like this man has ever, even if this quote unquote wasn't a hate crime, this man has everything to gain by lying about it and saying that it wasn't a hate crime. So that's just the first point I want to make. The second and possibly the most critical point I want to make is the fact that him saying he had a sex addiction and that, you know, these these women in these spas were areas of temptation for him, that is in and of itself racist. The way that we sexualize and the way that we see Asian women in this country is disgusting and inherently is based on racism and bigotry. We over-sexualize Asian women. We over-sexualize them in porn. We over-sexualize them in the media, in the industry, even overseas and in predominantly Asian countries. They over-sexualize their Asian women. But so him saying that alone completely devalues anything he said about this not being a hate crime or this not being driven out of race. Because him saying that these women or these spas where predominantly Asian women worked were areas of temptation for him because of his sex addiction you are literally spitting in the face of the point you just tried to make by saying that this was not driven out of race. Because again, the 
the over-sexualization of Asian women is so prominent in our culture, and he's literally just buying into that by saying that this was his motive anyways. So personally, for me, just looking at the situation and seeing all of that, I, again, feel very quick to say that this was still a hate crime. I feel very quick to call BS on everything the shooter said, because even, even if this was driven out of a sex addiction, that still is inherently sexualizing Asian American women in a way that society has deemed appropriate in a, and perpetuates in a way. The, uh, the last thing I want to talk about regarding all of this or regarding this shooting specifically, and quite possibly the, the most disgusting part of the aftermath and all of this that is happening after the fact, is the comments made by the captain of the Cherokee Sheriff's Department in um, a press conference about the shooting. And overall, he made the comment that, you know, he was at the end of his rope and it, it was a really bad day for him. And this is what he did. This was what happened. A really bad day? A really bad day? Are you kidding me? You know, because it's not like the people who he killed are never even going to be able to have the chance to have a bad day again. Because it's not like the people who he killed are now never going to be able to see their families again or celebrate a holiday or even have the chance to have any more days ahead of them. Because he cut that opportunity off for them. He took away the lives of eight people and ruined the lives of so many others who loved and cared for the victims of this tragedy. A really bad day. It's laughable. Do you know how many days I've had where people have targeted me, where people have harassed me, where people have violated my safety and my comfort because of the way I look, because of how I act, because of how I talk, because of the hairstyles I choose to wear, because of my skin color? And I have never, not once, even thought about taking out my bad day on the people around me through murder. Disgusting. This comment was deplorable. Because not only are they trying to humanize a person who murdered eight people earlier that day, and on top of that, you know, spitting in the face of every single victim that was killed that day, of every single person who had their day cut short, who had their lives cut short because of this person, but on top of that, I just feel like I just feel like it speaks volumes to the police. Because let's face it, police brutality doesn't just affect black people. Police brutality doesn't just involve police killing unarmed black people or police targeting unarmed black men. This is police brutality. This right here. This is a great example of police brutality and how it affects all of us. The police trying to humanize a murderer? A mass shooter? Trying to relate to him? Trying to make us sympathize with him? They are literally sympathizing with a murderer. They are sympathizing with someone who murdered eight people in broad daylight. And you, and you can't even deny that. It's on footage. I saw it. I saw exactly what this man was saying. He was sympathizing with him. He was trying to make us feel bad for him. Again, you cannot reform this. This is an inherent problem because not only are the victims of the families going to see what he said, not only are the victims of the families and the victims themselves being blatantly disrespected by the words that came out of this captain's mouth when he said these things, but also other people in this country who have the, the tendencies within themselves to commit this type of violence, who have the potential to carry out a tragedy like this and carry out something this evil, are going to see this and feel emboldened to do the same. And I'm sure, quite frankly, I am sure that that's part of what sparked what happened at Boulder.
and that's part of what sparked the second mass shooting that we've had in six days, is how the police handled this situation and how the police spoke about this situation. He was having a bad day. Go fuck yourself. Genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, if you're going to defend what this police captain said, and if you're going to justify or agree with what the police captain said, go fuck yourself. Because this, this is just, because this is what America does. Because we sit and we not only allow for the echo chambers of hatred to exist that allow and perpetuate thoughts like this to happen, that drive and catalyze these tragedies and immense moments of hatred to occur within our society that result in mass shootings, but then after the fact that they even happen, we sympathize with them and we make excuses for them. And we humanize someone who does not deserve to be humanized. We humanize someone who did an inhuman action who committed an inhuman atrocity. This, all of it, our country, what happened after the fact, how we handle these things, they are mass shooters' bread and butter. To see how easy it is not only to carry out a crime like this, to see how easy it is to be radicalized, to be driven to carry out a crime like this, but also after the fact to see how, how little we hold these people accountable, to see how little we villainize these people. I mean, at this point, it's like, it's like game over. Where do we go from here? Because our police aren't even protecting us. Our police don't even care enough to try and villainize this person and make this be seen as something atrocious and that's something that nobody should do and, this, and as a crime that nobody should take it upon themselves to commit. And again, I want to say that this had probably a direct impact on what happened in Colorado this yesterday, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Tuesday. Yesterday was the mass shooting that happened in Boulder. In Boulder... 10 people were murdered in a supermarket after a gunman decided to enter with an AR-15 and murder as many people as he could. So far, like I said, it's the day after. I really don't have all of the information yet. Um, not even the victims. I haven't even seen any victims' names be released yet. That's how early it is to, you know, figure out what actually happened. A man took it upon himself to enter a public place, to enter a place where people have a right to feel safe. People have a right to feel safe when they're grocery shopping. People have a right to not have their lives violated when they go grocery shopping. And a man took it upon himself to enter this space with the intent to cause harm to people, with the intent to cut people's lives short. <sighs> I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't know what to say that hasn't already been said. I don't know what to say that won't result in some back-ass Republican coming for me and yelling at me that I'm trying to take away their Second Amendment rights. I, I don't know at this point how to make people care about stuff like this. Because I've, I've said it before. I said it when I was talking about Rochester PD pepper spraying the nine-year-old girl in the face. If we cannot decide to make our country safer for children then we're probably not going to ever change. Because Sandy Hook happened, what, 2012? December 14th, 2012? It's going to be nine years this December. And nothing, nothing has changed. How many more people have died? How many more people have had their lives cut short? How many more people have had to lay family members to rest? Have had to say goodbye too soon? How many people have gotten terrified texts from people who are cowering in corners trying to protect themselves from someone with a gun? 
how many people have had to see something awful like this happened, had to watch classmates, friends, peers, coworkers, family members be gunned down in public and have to continue to live their lives like nothing, like nothing happened because our country doesn't even care. And not only that, but it's like, it's like nothing's safe. This was a supermarket for Christ's sake. How many other places that are seen as safe spaces, how many other places that are seen as spaces that people should just be undoubtedly comfortable in have had that comfortability and safety breached by a crazy person with a gun? Elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, churches, movie theaters, supermarkets, restaurants, concerts. What is safe anymore? At any time, the fact that you could leave your home with the intention of going out to buy groceries, with the intention of just going to go to school, with the intention of wanting to go on a date or wanting to go out to watch a movie. The fact that you could go out and do any of that stuff and never come home again is terrifying. It's terrifying. Because somehow, after all of this, somehow, after first graders were murdered in Sandy Hook, somehow, after people were murdered coming out of a movie theater, somehow, after people were murdered at a concert, there are still too many, so many people who are valuing their guns over lives and saying that we shouldn't prioritize gun reform and saying that we shouldn't focus on gun reform and making this country safer for people because it might inhibit their ability to own a fucking military-grade assault rifle. Like, the self-centeredness and the individualism is astounding. It, it, it amazes me, honestly. Every single time something like this happens, it amazes me. How willing and able people are to just shove other people's lives, to just shove other people's ability and right to life to the side over their ability to own a fucking gun. It just baffles me, especially because, like, this is the same group of people who think that a fetus should have every right to life who thinks that a, a mother who gets an abortion is a murderer, yet they're the first to defend their gun rights when, you know, another mass murder happens. They're the first to defend their gun rights when another mass shooting happens. It's, it's, it truly is phenomenal how, how it's like, it's the same cycle every single time a mass shooting happens. The NRA convinces everyone that, the, you know, the Democrats and the liberals are going to come for your guns. Gun sales skyrocket. And because of this, it makes it easier for yet another wacko to get his hands on guns, and then the cycle just continues. And then another mass shooting happens, and the NRA and the GOP tell everyone that, that their guns are going to be taken away from them. And, like, it's just, it's an incessant cycle of bullshit. It's an incessant cycle of fear-mongering and telling the American public lies just to get them to, what, buy more guns? Just to get them to, what, feed your pockets? And I know I sound right now like this is something that's like unbelievable for me. And like, I, I want to make the point that this is not something that's hard for me to understand. I think it's genuinely just the fact that I that we've went so long without having something like this happen. And then to have two mass murders in six days, in a span of six days, it just, it, just, it rocks you to your core. It, it does something to you. At least it's doing something to me. And it's making it hard for me to compartmentalize all of this. Not because... I don't understand gun reform, not because I don't understand gun violence, not because, you know, I'm not educated about all of this, but because it's just, we went so long without having this be a regular occurrence. We went so long without having this be our normal. And now that everything's opening back up again, it's just like a reminder that like, it didn't stop. It was just halted for a little bit. It was just paused. And now that our country's opening back up, it's gonna, it's gonna start up right again.
And instead of going out into society wearing a mask and worrying that I'm going to die at the hands of a virus, now I not only have to go into society worrying that I'm going to die at the hands of a virus, but also worrying that I'm going to die at the hands of a crazy person with a gun. When it comes to my own beliefs about gun reform, I said in the beginning of this episode, I I don't hate guns. I don't mind guns. Personally, for me, I think having a gun would be a great way to, you know, keep myself protected, keep myself defended, especially, like I said, because I'm a black woman in America. However, I think that the type of guns that people are able to obtain, and I think that the ease that people are able to obtain those guns with, those two things need to change. There is no reason for an average civilian to have their hands on a military-grade assault rifle. There is no reason for an average civilian to have a semi-automatic rifle. No reason at all. There's no reason that you should be able to shoot 100 rounds in 30 seconds. No reason. And the people who say, oh, it's for hunting. Oh, oh, it's because I need it to hunt. And if you're one of those people, I have two questions for you. One, if you need a gun like this to hunt, then you're not a very good hunter. Why are you hunting in the first place? And two, are you trying to make ground meat before the animal even dies? Like, what is the, what is the point of having a weapon like this? If you if you need an AR-15 to hunt, you're not a good hunter. You shouldn't be hunting. And I have I don't care who that offends. I don't care who that makes angry. I'm gonna tell you guys a little a little story about how I know you're a bad hunter if you need an AR-15 to hunt. My uncle, my great uncle, is he was a religious hunter. Obviously, you know now age has kind of caught up to him, and he's not really able to do those activities as much. But for the majority of his life, he would hunt every single year and get one deer every single year. And for eight years, he used nine bullets to take down eight deer. I'm not even making this up. This is completely true. And this is how I know what it means to be a good hunter. Eight years, a deer a year, and he used nine bullets to do it. One year, he, you know, missed it on the first shot. And in the immediate, in the following second, he got it before it even had a chance to run away and be in pain. So pardon me if I don't think that you're a good hunter if you need an AR-15 to hunt. Pardon me if I don't think you have the right to murder other living things if you need a gun that can shoot 45 rounds in a minute, up to three rounds per second. That's ridiculous and it's unnecessary. And if you need that to hunt, you, again, you should not be hunting. The richest part of all of this is that Boulder actually had an assault weapons ban for the last for the previous two years. The NRA sued because of it and actually got the ban overturned at the hands of a judge. And for the last week, they've been celebrating and they've been loving it. And they've been publicly celebrating the fact that they managed to overturn Boulder's assault weapon ban. A week, just one week after this happened, just one week after the NRA managed to overturn Boulder's assault weapon ban, a man murdered 10 people in broad daylight at a supermarket with. Oh wait, an assault weapon, an AR-15. This is what I mean when I say that these companies actually go out of their way to make things worse. They go out of their way to make tragedies like this happen because they profit off of them, because gun sales soar after they happen. They are doing this on purpose. They are putting your lives at risk for their own financial and economic gain. They are putting the lives of your sisters, your brothers, your children, your parents, your grandchildren. They are putting the lives of everyone you love at risk for their own monetary gain. And if that alone does not make you furious to the point where you know that gun reform has to take place in this country, then I beg to ask the question of why don't you care? 
What will it take for you to care? Who in your life will have to be killed, impacted, or affected by gun violence for you to care about these issues? Who in your, who in your life would you have to lose for you to care about gun violence? Who in your life would have to die? Who in your life would you have to lay in a casket? Who in your life would you have to say goodbye to in order for you to care about gun violence? I had no intention of this taking so long. I had no intention of this, of making this the predominant and only topic of this week's episode. But obviously this is a very, this is a very heavy, heavy topic. This is a very important topic. This is a topic that, you know, like I kind of hinted to earlier in the episode, this is a topic that I think is a cornerstone of American culture. And until we take it upon ourselves to ask ourselves what we're willing to put up with, until we take it upon ourselves to ask what we're willing to turn a blind eye to and what sacrifices we're willing to make at the hands of other people in other people's lives for our own safety and our own privileges, I don't think it'll ever change. Because for too long, we have been okay with the fact that us having guns also means the wackos having guns, the people having guns who are going to have the intent of inflicting harm on other people. And this is not me saying that you're a wacko. This is not me saying that you're crazy or that you would hurt someone with your guns or that you would go out of your way to inflict harm on someone. The vast majority of people in society would never commit a mass shooting. And I am perfectly okay admitting that. I am going to say it again. The vast majority of people within a society, even those who own guns, would not take it upon themselves to commit a mass murder. And I am willing to admit that. However, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. We have to move as slow as our slowest person in order to keep society moving forward. And unfortunately, that means making some sacrifices. If it means that other people are going to be safe, if it means that other people are still going to be able to live their lives, if it means other people are not going to have to lay daughters and mothers and sisters and brothers and family members and people that they love to rest. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of having to explain basic human empathy to people. I'm tired of people not putting in the effort to understanding what other people are going through. And I'm tired of people thinking that their right to own a gun is more important and means more than another person's right to live. I'm probably going to have to talk about it again, especially as the country opens back up and especially as we are, you know, complicit in stuff like this happening. I know I'm going to have to talk about this again. I know there are going to be more mass shootings. I know there are going to be more people that die at the hands of gun violence. My heart goes out to every single family member who is having to lay a loved one to rest right now because of senseless gun violence in this country. My heart goes out to the communities of Atlanta. My heart goes out to the community of Boulder. I cannot even begin to imagine the irreparable damage that has been done to those communities. I cannot even imagine. And my heart, my heart aches for these families. My heart aches for these individuals. And I hope that the victims of these tragic events are able to find peace wherever they are. This week in my In the Rotation, I have something that I think everyone should watch, especially if you're an American. For a really long time, I was never into stand-up comedy. I think part of the reason is because whenever people would try and get me to watch stand-up comedy, it would always be Kevin Hart, and Kevin Hart is not fucking funny. I don't care what you guys have to say, you know it's true, but... When I started to watch stand-up comedy on my own and when I started to get into, you know, comedians that I like, now I love stand-up comedy. And there are some comedians that I, you know, like I swear by and I love their content so much. But specifically, one of my favorite comedians is Jim Jeffries. He, he is an Australian-based comedian. He now lives in America. He immigrated to America. 
But specifically, you pro you might have heard that name because of a bit on gun control that he did in one of his stand-up routines. The actual show itself was on Netflix, and it's actually called Bear. I recommend watching the whole thing, and if you don't want to, then you can actually find snippets of his gun control segment on YouTube, and I definitely recommend watching that. Even though this is something that isn't necessarily in my rotation now, or it's something that I haven't really enjoyed recently, it's something that I definitely think everyone should watch. It's something that I definitely think everyone should put effort into listening to and heeding what he has to say. Obviously, he's a comedian. The air of which he talks about this topic, you know, a topic that we would think is so heavy hitting and so hard to listen to and talk about. Obviously, he brings more of like a comedic, lighthearted aspect to it. But the way he talks about it, it's like it's real life shit. Like he talks about real issues and, you know, makes real arguments as to why gun reform is necessary, especially in, you know, a place like America. And especially because, you know, he has a foreign, you know, he has a foreign outside perspective on it. And, you know, especially coming from Australia, someplace who had one of the biggest massacres in the world in 1996. And, and because of that, they put into place extremely strict gun control legislation. And since then, they haven't had a mass shooting. Personally, I don't really know why that is. Maybe someone could help me out with it. But uh, real talk, he's just, he's hilarious. He, you know, makes really good points. And like his, I love the way he gives his comedy. I love the way he tells his jokes. And if you like his comedy in Bear, and if you like what he has to give in Bear, I definitely recommend checking out his other shows, all of which are on Netflix. Last week when I was, you know, sitting down and, you know, recording my other episode, I usually do like to think in advance about like what I want to talk about in my episodes and, you know, what I want the main topics to be about. And I remember just last week when I was recording last week's episode, I was like, huh, I wonder what I'm going to talk about this week. And, you know, then American society did its thing and gave me shit to talk about, which, you know, thanks, I guess. I don't know why it had to be in this way. I don't know why we have to have a culture that perpetuates and encourages gun violence. It's disgusting, it's abhorrent, and I hate that I have to talk about it, but you know, I guess this is where we are right now. I'm going to leave links in the description. Obviously, I always leave my link tree, but I'm also going to leave other links in the description of places where you can report anti-Asian American hate crimes, places where you can report other hate crimes in general, places where you can places where you can go if you are Asian American or if you're in a POC in general and you need some mental stability, mental support right now, resources that you can go to educate yourself on the hate crimes and what's been going on in the Asian American community as a whole. I'm also going to leave some links in the description about gun violence, just some educational resources about, you know, what actually takes place in America and what's actually going on. going to leave some educational resources about, you know, what the NRA does and kind of the fear-mongering and the tactics that they use that result in them gaining financially from everything that's going on. I don't want to scare people. I don't want people to fear going out in public. I don't want people to fear integrating themselves into society again. It's bad enough that a lot of us have anxiety about, you know, going out into society and actually going back to some sense of normalcy anyways. And with everything that's going on, when you add, you know, the Sarah Everard story, when you add gun violence on top of it, naturally there's going to be a higher propensity for sexual assault. There's going to be a higher propensity for murder and gun violence and harassment just when we, you know, start to integrate ourselves into society again. And I want to make the point again that 
This is not this is not a reason for us to be scared. Yes, you know, it's it's something that's terrible. Yes, it's something we should be apprehensive about and educate ourselves about and know about and be knowledgeable about. But I, I don't want people to be scared. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm not trying to put fear into people's lives. That's never my intention. But I do think that in order to combat and further eradicate these issues in society, these issues that just permeate within society, we do have to educate ourselves on them. We do have to listen to and read things that are uncomfortable, that are hard to hear, that are hard to listen to. And like I said a million times, this is what I want this podcast to be about. I want it to be about growth. I want it to be about having uncomfortable conversations. But I don't want those uncomfortable conversations to result in your anxiety or your fears. So I wholeheartedly apologize if this was, you know, at all hard to listen to because of that. That was never my intention. That was never why I want to talk about this stuff and why I want to bring awareness to this stuff. Even though it's hard to feel hopeful sometimes, I will never lose hope for a better tomorrow. I will never lose hope that there are people in this world who will wholeheartedly put all of their effort into making it a better place to live for all of us. And I think that if we truly want to make a better future, then we have to put it on our own shoulders to do our parts in making that happen and to making that possible. So again, endless amounts of condolences to the communities of both Atlanta and Boulder at this time. Immense condolences to every other community, every other family who has had to face the realities and the harsh nuances of gun violence in this country. I could not imagine what you deal with. I could not imagine what you go through. And I, for your sake, as much as for mine and for your children's sake and for, you know, every single person who comes behind us, I sincerely hope that we are able to reach some sort of common ground and agree that this is something that needs to change. You already know the drill. I'm not really in the mood to, you know, do all of the theatrics this week. So I'm just going to say this. Please, guys, leave this episode and every episode ready to go out into the world and educate often, learn freely, and love equally. Stay safe, guys. Stay positive. Stay empowered. Thank you so much for tuning in, and please take care of yourselves.